0: Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman-Torpey. And I'm Pete Torpey. If it weren't a hard problem, it wouldn't be
1: research. It's so funny. I just said literally that exact same thing like an hour ago to one of my students. So I can totally, <laughs> I definitely agree with that.
2: And today's guest did tackle a hard problem, but came up with a very clever and easy to use solution. Most navigation apps
0: rely on GPS and work well outdoors but are not suitable for indoor use. We'll speak with Paul Ruvalo about the Clue app he developed, which overcomes this limitation by making use of Apple's AR kit and the telephone's camera in order to guide users from point to point indoors. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Paul Ruvalo.
1: So my tip would be that hard problems require collaboration among lots of different groups. And I would say lean into some collaborations and do some creative work.
0: That's how we get many of our best and most creative solutions is from people exchanging ideas and thoughts on very difficult problems.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the whole guiding light of what we're doing. So I would love to be able to do more of that, maybe with some folks that are listening.
2: Support for Eyes on Success is provided by... NaviLens, a
0: four-color QR code designed to be located and read from up to 60 feet away without the need to focus on it. Now, using augmented reality, NaviLens 360 Vision locates the NaviLens codes in a 3D space, available for iPhone and soon for Android. More at navilens.com. dot com. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Paul.
1: Hi, my name is Paul Ruvalo. I'm an associate professor of computer science at Olin College of Engineering. Uh, I've been in this job for going on my my ninth year, starting in the fall. Um, I'm originally from California. I have my PhD from U- University of California, San Diego. Um, And I've been working in the field of accessibility for about about seven or eight years now. Um, And that's, you know, where my my real focus is in terms of my my research and um, other external work that I do.
0: Most of our listeners and most of the people who benefit from your research have visual impairments or other print disabilities. Do you?
1: I don't. So
0: what prompted you to get into the field?
1: So... I did my PhD. The focus was on, um, human robot interaction and and social interaction. And, um, we've been doing a lot of interesting projects in that space. Um, but I started to have the feeling that it was not necessarily as impactful or as, um, you know, serving society in a way that I, that I wanted it to, um, So uh, when I came to work at Olin, Olin is a small college and it was uh, founded to provide a view of engineering that more closely considers the needs of end users and understanding how to make technologies that actually can have a positive impact in the world. Um, And so when I got here, I was interested in moving my work towards things that uh, would be more directly applicable to folks' lives. Um, And at Olin, we just have a lot of people that are doing stuff in the space of accessibility or disability studies. And so it was a kind of a combination of wanting to move more in that direction and the influence of many great colleagues around me that got me to start investigating the area.
0: Terrific. Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community
2: goodwill. Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic
0: is the Clue app for indoor navigation developed by Paul Ruvalo and his team.
2: Paul, in the introduction, you mentioned that you work a lot in the field of accessibility, particularly for the visually impaired. And one of the things we want to talk about today was your app called Clue. Clue CLEW that you've been developing, and I've been following the progress of that for some time, and it's quite interesting. Could you give our listeners a quick summary of what the app actually does?
1: Absolutely. So Clue is an app for route recording and navigation using a mobile phone. So the idea is that you can start the app up and this can work indoors or outdoors, uh, but the app is mostly designed for indoors. Um, You can start a recording and move the phone through the environment. You know, it can hold the phone while you you walk around. And the phone is tracking the position of the user um, as you move about. And when you're done with the route, like you go from, you know, say like a bedroom to, uh, you know, the kitchen or something, you can hit stop. And then that route is saved in the phone. And you can either use the app to navigate back to where you started. So it will give you... Uh, automatic directions like turn left, turn right. It will provide haptic feedback and also some auditory feedback. So you can go back to where you started, or you can also load the route at some point in the future if you want to navigate the route again. Yeah. So some of the use cases would be if you're in an unfamiliar environment and you go somewhere with a sighted guide, this could help you get back at some later point to where you started. If you are in an environment, say like a hotel or something, and you want to uh, record a route, say from like the elevator to your room or something. Um, you could record it one time and use it for the duration of your stay. Or even if you learn a new route with like an orientation mobility instructor, you could record the route with clue if you want to practice it on your own more easily. So those are some of the use cases that the app, the app serves. And, uh, those are, yeah, some of the sort of basic features.
0: Let me tell you, there was a situation that we ran into repeatedly. We both worked at Xerox outside Rochester, New York, which has an enormous campus, several square miles. And every once in a while, Pete would have to collaborate with somebody in another building, a different other building from the last time. And we would go out over the lunch hour and walk back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and find a path. And then Pete would have to learn the path
2: clue would have been terrific that would have been very helpful yes
1: yeah so that's definitely one of the the sort of use cases that yeah the route learning um and uh yeah and it the one thing i should say is that the you know scenarios that it's useful in uh are relatively short routes um indoors or outdoors so routes that are on the order of 100 meters or so is kind of like about the you know, the 100 meters to 200 meters is about the, the range that you can expect good performance from the app. Um, we don't have a lot of support for outdoor navigation yet, but uh, that would be another opportunity to leverage using GPS uh, data to try to get longer routes outdoors to be something that that would work better.
0: GPS would have been handy, too, but this was a while ago.
1: Yeah, <laughs> got it. OK, that, that makes a lot of sense.
2: Now, I guess this functionality is enabled by a lot of the new technologies that have been implemented in phones over the past few years, in particular, Apple's augmented reality technology. Can you tell us a little bit more about how the app actually works under the hood?
1: Absolutely. So that is right. A lot of these opportunities are being enabled by these these new libraries. So uh, we use ARKit for the bulk of, of what we do. So ARKit enables the phone to track its position as it moves through space. Uh, so if you, you know, the listeners are not familiar with the technology, um, the whole idea with augmented reality is to be able to blend together physical content, like uh, you know, objects in the real world with virtual content. And so in order for the phone to be able to do that, it needs to have a sense of how it's moving through space so that it could, you know, properly overlay virtual content on physical content um, and also maybe know something about the structure of the environment, like where the walls are, where the t- you know a table might be, those sorts of things. That's the, really the only thing that we use to track the position of the phone. There are some other things we've built on top of it using some computer vision techniques. So we use a library called OpenCV, which is an open computer vision library um, that enables us to do some extra things on top of, of ARKit, but the, the heavy lifting is really done by AR kit itself. And then I think the challenge is then also how do you leverage that to make successful user experience? How do you um, enable people to utilize the power of the technology to actually navigate? Um, But the, the bulk of the like sort of position estimation and tracking that's all done by Apple's library.
2: And since this doesn't rely on GPS, which doesn't work indoors very well, this technology is particularly relevant to people who want to do indoor navigation.
1: Exactly. So, you know, indoor navigation has been for a long time, this sort of, uh, you know, there's just no real good solution for it. Like uh, many folks listening might be familiar with like beacon based technologies that use like Bluetooth beacons that can be installed in in an environment for indoor navigation. Um, You know, there's many different possible approaches, but um, this augmented reality is definitely one that is, I think, going to play a bigger and bigger role in the space. And it does, of course, come with its you know downsides, which I'd be interesting to discuss as well. But I think it's a potentially a really promising technology for for this this indoor navigation problem, and also just sort of understanding like the layout of a space and like what is around you.
2: Well, all of these technologies do have their pros and cons. You talked about some of the other indoor technologies like beacons relying on bluetooth and sometimes like the good maps app they have to map the environment with lidar ahead of time and this relies on the venue being sort of set up ahead of time but with the clue app this will work any place
1: that's right with the clue app there's no reliance on the the venue or you know folks who manage the space to to do anything So the user is responsible for doing the recording themselves. Um, The user can also share routes with other people. So that is also an option. The downside, of course, of not having the cooperation of the venue, for instance, like mapping the environment, is the accuracy could be higher if you have a map of the environment ahead of time. So an app like Good Maps that's using LIDAR technology to map out an environment, that has the potential to... more accurate over really, really large spaces. Um, But I guess the phone-based augmented reality is getting better all the time. And I think closing that gap, even since we first released Clue, the capabilities of the underlying library have gotten a lot better. And also with the introduction of newer hardware with, you know, wider angle cameras, and now with like LIDARs coming out on phones, the phone-based technology is rapidly advancing to the point where it can quite a good job by itself.
0: Well, and just the fact that you're mapping an individual route at a time, as opposed to the entire indoor space, must make it so that it requires less resources to get a similar level of accuracy for that route as if you needed to map the entire space?
1: Yes, absolutely. That's a great point to make as well. So, yeah, so it would require less resources to be accurate along that route rather than have to have a globally consistent map of it, a whole you know, mall or building or airport or something like that.
2: Now, you brought up the concept of LiDAR, which currently is only in the high end phones, but you can imagine that migrating down to less costly phones in the future. Have you experimented with using LiDAR at all in Clue or thought about extending the app that way?
1: Yeah, I've definitely considered it. Um, and I think there are a lot of possibilities there. I have done some like, kind of experimentation on my own with it. Uh, I mean, the the capabilities of LIDAR are, are pretty impressive. You know, it can very quickly get a sense of the layout of a room, understand where walls are, doors are, uh, obstacles, these types of things. And very accurately. Yeah, very accurately too. So, yeah, I think the area that we've most explored in my lab is we have a research student who's working on a project to automatically narrate a route that you record with clue if you have a lidar so uh her work is able to do things like tell you when you're walking down a hallway as part of a recorded route or detect things like you know different types of intersections and um whether or not you're part of the route is trailing near a wall that type of thing so Um, I think like adding contextual information about what is happening on a route could be really important, both for planning the route ahead of time. So if you get, someone sends you a route, you could read through the description and have a much better idea of what you're going to encounter when you're actually navigating. Um, But also when you're navigating to help you build confidence that you're on the right track. So those are some options that that I've thought of.
2: And for Those that aren't familiar with LiDAR, that is essentially using a laser to do distance and range detection. And that's built into some of the newer phones. In terms of adding some of these extra capabilities to Clue, um, and you talked about some of its limitations outdoors and longer distances, have you thought about marrying some of the AR capabilities with GPS capabilities?
1: Yes, for sure. How to do that is a little bit more uh, challenging than, than you might imagine. So, the, you know, GPS is only, even outside is not super accurate. It's only accurate maybe to like five meters or so uh, under ideal conditions. Right. And so what you have is a sort of noisy estimate of where you are based on the GPS and then this estimate of how you're moving based on kit And so you have to find the right way to kind of mix those two sources of information together. And I definitely have some ideas about that. I'm not sure uh, if you all are familiar, but some of the big uh, tech companies have like these active walking directions. Uh, so Google has this thing where if you're doing walking directions in a city, you can turn on what's called, I think it's called live mode or something. And the phone will instruct you to wave your phone like across the street to capture the buildings and it can use the buildings to actually localize you very precisely in AR. So that's one of the solutions that would be potentially interesting to tap into. Um, The bad thing about that is it's only available in like a small percentage of environments. So that won't work everywhere, but that is something that's being made available to developers um, to harness so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've i thought about other ways to potentially try to localize in an outdoor space using GPS and uh, augmented reality. But so far, we haven't had the time to really explore any of those, those options. But I think it's an area with some good potential, but I think it's also a pretty hard problem.
2: Well, that's what research is all about, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. I know, you,
1: I know you all know how that goes.
0: Yeah. If it weren't a hard problem, it wouldn't be research.
1: It's so funny. I just said literally that exact same thing, like an hour ago to one of my students. So I can (laughs) totally, I definitely agree with that.
0: You said that you've been working in the field of access technology for many years at this point. How does the clue app fit in with some of your other initiatives?
1: Sure. I think one thing is that going back even before ARKit was released I was doing some early work in the space of augmented reality and accessibility using uh, an early Google device called Google Tango, or Project Tango, which was Google's like exploratory uh, platform for augmented reality. And so we were thinking a lot about grocery shopping. That was sort of the problem that motivated my group. And we were trying to do things like how do you help somebody find an object on a shelf with one of these augmented reality uh, you know, phones. And we worked on different aspects of that for a while, but nothing could really ever become mainstream because the hardware that it was running on was something that nobody actually had. First, it was just something that only developers could have. And then it was something that was, they called it a phablet. Um, so it was a giant phone slash tablet and nobody would ever buy this thing. So we did a lot of different things there. And that's where I, I built up a lot of contacts with the the, the community and uh, partnerships with Boston area organizations. And sort of like learning a lot about the area. And then I think out of that, when ARKit came out, that was really the sort of impetus to really start pushing into something that could be distributable to large numbers of people. And uh, Clue was the first project that we did that had that sort of, you know, breakthrough. And that has really helped uh, open up a lot of different ways of working with the community, uh, not just in the Boston area, but all around the world. And that's really been what's been guiding the work lately is how do we work with this large community of folks who are blind and also interested in this technology that happen to be anywhere in the world? How can we actually work with them to design um, additional um, technologies? Um, So that's like kind of one thread is this sort of whole thread of augmented reality based navigation uh, technology Um, Other things that I've worked on in the space of accessibility, uh, I've worked with a couple organizations that talk about how we teach the topic of digital accessibility and accessibility generally in uh, computer science uh, curricula. So thinking about how do we make that a part of every computer scientist's um, sort of toolbox as they move into the field. And uh, the other area I've worked on is um, orientation, mobility, education. So how do you create uh, technology to make learning orientation, mobility more fun and exciting to get kids interested in, you know, upping their skills in that area. So that's a project I've been doing with um, folks at Perkins School for the Blind for a number of years. Sounds very interesting. Thank you. It's a different sort of spin on, on the whole idea. It's using technology in service of teaching conventional uh, mobility cane skills rather than trying to augment those skills or or do anything else. It's really technology in service of education, not in in taking over for those basic skills.
2: Now, the Clue app is free on the App Store and a lot of this research takes money. Where does most funding come from?
1: Uh, Yeah. So I've gotten a lot of funding uh, from the Peabody Foundation. Um, They're a foundation in the Boston area and they support Uh, work that benefits uh, particularly uh, children with either disabilities or have had some sort of life-altering injury. And they have uh, funded this work. They funded it for four years. And that's where a lot of the money to get this off the ground came from, was working with the Peabody Foundation. Uh, Lately, I got funding from the National Science Foundation to sort of take this work to the next level. So that's the project that I have students working on this summer. Um, They're working on a bunch of different projects related to orientation mobility. And um, that grant will support us for the next three years or so. But you are right in that to sort of support this uh, free app, we do have to keep getting grants to support the work. And so, uh, yeah, I will be writing a lot of grant proposals, I think, to keep keep the funding coming in.
2: That's the other part of a professor's job that students (laughs) don't often think about.
1: No. Yeah. The money does come come from somewhere, but I quite like the model of working sort of with the community directly, but get, getting funding from different foundations. And then of course, the value generated to those foundations is generating new knowledge and better understanding of accessibility, which is in line with their missions. And the tangible impact on, you know, end users' lives is also something that's Of interest to those funders as well. So I I like to think there's a way to align everything. So there's sort of a a win-win-win for everybody.
0: How many students do you typically have working on the project at once?
1: I think I mentioned this in the beginning, but Olin is an undergraduate only institution. So, um, you know, my funding model and work model are very different than you would find at a large university. Right now, I have 11 students working for me on various projects related to Clue and and other orientation mobility technologies. And they work full time for a 10 week period over the summer. And then during the year, I typically have six to eight students working with me, usually for credit um, as part of progressing towards their engineering degree. So uh, typically, yeah, pretty large teams um, with a lot of uh, resources over the summer and a little bit lower resources over the year. And then, I'm also working on this stuff all the time as well. So I'm also providing a lot of that continuity throughout the year. Sounds like fun. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, It's really fun.
2: We've recently run into a number of people who are working with your team, but not associated with the
1: university. So tell us a little bit about your outreach. Absolutely. We've been doing a lot of outreach through different online channels, so trying to get in touch with our current user base to understand their experience. But we also are launching a co-designer program. So this is something that Fernando Albertorio and I have been working on developing. Uh, Fernando is a co-developer of the Sunu Band. We have been working to create a program where folks can work with us starting in early July for six weeks. Uh, They'll receive a little bit of compensation. It's $100 per person, but we also will have access to uh, various workshops to introduce different possible career paths in the field of digital accessibility and what it will kind of look like is um, trying out different uh, features for clue and giving feedback and helping to co-design the sort of next generation of this type of technology. So we're hoping to build um, more partnerships with the community, especially ones that uh, continue for multiple weeks and give the opportunity for folks to really, you know, dive in deep with us and really co-design because that's, The way that you get the best possible outcome is through that kind of uh, creative collaboration.
0: Paul just mentioned Fernando Albertorio, and he will be on the show next week. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item... How to learn more about Clue and how to contact Paul Ruvalo
2: directly. Paul, if people want to find out more about your research or Clue, where would you direct them?
1: You can check out my website, which is Occam Or if you want, you can certainly email me. Feel free to write me an email. I I'm always happy to have a have a discussion. So That's another option.
0: What does Occam mean?
1: It stands for Olin College Crowdsourcing and Machine Learning Laboratory. So OCCAM, and it's also a play on Occam's razor, which is sort of a logical principle that given some observed phenomenon, you should prefer the simplest explanation for it. And it's a common way that we motivate machine learning algorithms. All that being said, I actually, one of the things I post to my students was to help me come up with a new lab name because I I want something that is more directly in the accessibility space that really puts that work front and center. Um, and this is a lab name that's been around since the beginning when I wasn't sure that that would be my sole focus. So that's what it stands for, but it may not be the lab name for long. But for now, you can still find me at occam.oland.edu. And your email address? My email address is... Ruvelo. that's P-R-U, V as in Victor, O-L-O, at olin.edu.
2: And you mentioned you are often looking for interns and collaborations. Can people just contact you via that email address if they're interested in working with you?
1: Yes, definitely. Um, especially for next summer, I'm always looking to, to, to hire folks and um, want to have a big team again next summer. So if that's something you're interested in, definitely get a hold of me. Um, but yeah, but for the for summer research, then definitely get a hold of me. Um, yeah, especially computer scientists who are blind or visually impaired. I'm always looking to hire uh, from that group uh, for in many different reasons. So I'd love to, to hear from you.
2: And of course, we'll have all of that information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net.
0: That's it for show number 2134. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking with Fernando Albertorio who is a blind chemist turned entrepreneur and philanthropist. He is also one of the co-founders of the Sunu Band, a device worn on the wrist to provide tactile navigation cues to the blind. We'll speak with Fernando about his journey, his philosophy, and how his drive and motivation have opened up opportunities for him.
2: And you'll want to hear about the skills he acquired and the type of work style that he developed to become successful. So tune in next week.
0: You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpey and Peter
2: Torpey. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net.